now everything is so exaggerated and so crazy that it's almost weirder to watch something that just shows you what what life is really like. All right, Alex, thanks for coming out. Hi. I'm glad we could finally get this done. Welcome to the Justin Murphy podcast show. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks. <laughs> so yeah. TFW was a fairly difficult movie to make. Obviously, it's very hard to make interesting, independent, original <laughs> content today. What I'm curious about is after the difficulty of producing TFW and bringing that to market and, you know, in this contemporary political context, what drives you to, you know, line up to do it again? Right. To, to yet again, push through and make another, you know, difficult, somewhat controversial or provocative movie. Like, what is that underlying drive that makes you want to do these films that are hard to bring to market today, uh, despite everything? You mean, why did I go after TFW and make Alex's War after whatever unique obstacles? Exactly. After TFW, assuming, you know, and I know you well enough to know that it definitely presented its right. challenges to make that kind of movie. Uh, but despite those difficulties, you sign up to do something uh, even more, perhaps even more difficult yeah. or even more challenging. Like, why? Well, I mean, not to like deflate the impact of the response, because I do think that's an important question. But when I made TFW, no GF, I didn't think I was making like a movie that people were going to watch and I thought I was making an art project that if I was lucky it would be a springboard to make a real documentary later on but the biggest difficulty of making that movie which was made in a vacuum by the way because nobody knew who I was and it didn't cost any money to make were just it was just the practical challenges of of not having a crew, not having any money, uh, trying to explain concepts to, to people um, in order to, to get support that weren't really um, accessible. Um, and the movie it just wasn't really translating to people. So anyone who came to to work on that movie, that's why also it took so long is that people started to get it. Anyway, digress, digress. So then the movie comes out and... Um, it goes through a few different seasons. First, it goes through a season of like open arms sort of reception and like positive acclaim. And it goes into South by Southwest. And then it gets that second cycle of like, but wait, no, wait a minute. This is bad. And here's why it's bad. Um, so that happened. And then it had even a third cycle where the demographic who the movie was crafted almost for decided that they were too cool for it too and that they didn't like it and so it kind of went through all of these permutations and now it's sort of arrived as this weird little um you know culty cult classic movie um that Definitely. that broke down ended up breaking down some barriers for some people including me and it has this reputation for being like a naughty movie but it didn't feel like i was making a naughty movie at the time um, I just felt like I was lucky to be making it, making a movie about something that I was interested in. But yeah, I, I had to um, deal with some blowback and it wasn't anything that I had ever dealt with before. And I don't think anybody, I mean, I think people do deal with it now in sort of micro ways in their everyday lives all the time, if they're even online or on Twitter or anything like that. So I'm not a crybaby <laughs> about like any kind of fallout from that movie, but I did get sort of put in the corner, I got kind of put in time out for being this like bad kid. And that was really interesting to me. Um, and I just thought, well, so we're becoming so prohibitive in these spaces where you can't even make like a weird, like coming of age movie about like guys on the internet. It's like, so everybody is basically demonized now in some fashion in right. the kind of age that we're living in right now, if you know, and um, I just thought, well, who's the most um, obviously demonized person? <laughs> and if I made a movie about somebody as famous as Alex, I think I could actually, it would have this reverse effect where it would actually shield me from any like level of criticism because it's so, he's so like larger than life 
as compared to the subjects of my other movie that I actually thought that it would shield me from criticism, but it would still get people talking in the same way about um, how we view um, these controversial topics. Right. So when TFW is all said and done, though, and you're at home thinking about what to do next, you know, I see the ap- the appeal to, to what drew you to Alex Jones. But surely some part of you is thinking, oh, man, maybe would it just be easier and nicer to do some cookie cutter thing for, for my next one? Like what what is your what is the underlying? You know, why not do that? I think a lot of people would just be like, oh, this is too stressful doing provocative stuff. Now, let me switch to a cookie cutter thing, advance my career a bit. Like what is it inside of you that makes makes it feel worth it to keep doing to keep pushing the limit? Because nobody want, nobody would want to watch that. Mm. And I um, it's really hard to make a movie, whether you have a thousand dollars or a million dollars or more, it's always going to be hard to do it. And the biggest thing that makes it hard is sustaining the energy and the follow through to finish it. And that means that you have to be able to stay inspired and you be able to, to stay enthusiastic. And for me, if something is not spicy, <laughs> at least in, to me, I'm not going to be able to, you know, you know, film the movie, you know, edit the movie, direct the movie, deal with all these interpersonal relationships that you have to do, like with your subjects, with your crew, um, showing up, being on set, like uh, the uncertainty of how your work is going to be dealt with and how people are going to treat you. If you don't care about what you're making a movie about, then you it's almost impossible to get it done because it's just so much work. Yeah, it makes sense. It's got to be spicy enough to be interesting to you. Well, and I mean, the principle applies to maybe like most things in life. I mean, why does anybody do anything? Like, and people go to like their shitty jobs that they hate doing and they don't do a good job and they get fired. And then, you know, it's like, do what you love, right? Totally. Were there particular lessons you learned during TFW and navigating all of that? that you know about how this about how the media world works about how to successfully push through controversial work were were there lessons learned that enabled you to you know be more confident or or navigate the alex jones documentary more swiftly or you know um yeah aggressively the biggest lesson i learned and this is probably the lesson that anybody learns when they step into any um kind of anything that puts them in the in the public eye um, is to be less open and to protect yourself. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that in like a necessarily like a negative way, but, um, I just think I was, um, a very, I was just a really naive, naive when I made that movie and I, um, I developed like a thicker skin and I, you get in this 40 chess mindset, (laughs) So, uh, you know, about how things are going to be perceived and how you're going to be perceived and, you know, what what you should say and how it's going to live on the Internet forever and things like that. Not that I've really done. I mean, I haven't really done anything that radical. The most radical thing about me is totally out in the open. Right. Which is just my work. Sure. And maybe some of my like associations or something. But you learn to be more guarded, more protective, more, more professional, more professional. You learn how to be more professional and you learn that um, actions have consequences. So, um, you know, but like I said, like I didn't think that that movie was going to do anything. Hmm. So, um, you know, it was like a, it was a, it was a great gift, but especially when you're dealing with somebody like Alex and all of like Alex Jones and um, all the activity, the really serious activity swirling around him and it's deadly serious shit. Um, it really keeps you on your toes and you can't do what I did on TFW no GF, which is basically just go like party with Twitter accounts. Like this isn't like that. It was like you had to take it pretty seriously. So, um, yeah, it's, it's taught, it taught me how to, how to be a pro, I guess. Yeah. Makes sense. And what is the key to convincing a high profile figure to do something like this, not necessarily to talk about Alex Jones, but more abstractly, the the, the more abstract question of, you know, getting people who are in the limelight um, who maybe are already somewhat guarded. How do you convince someone like that to do this type of documentary? Well, it's like Robert Greene says, you always appeal to people's self-interest. You don't appeal to their sense of charity um, ever. Um, but it definitely helps 
if you can influence people through um obliquely through other people obviously (laughs) i mean i didn't just get jones to agree like it's not like jones watched tfw and was like oh it's a great fucking movie like i want to work with this person like that that he's still never seen that movie he'll never see that movie i don't care if he sees that movie but when um you know somebody who knows somebody who actually did have the time to watch that movie or does you know or if you get to spend i i basically was able to spend time with people um that he did respect and I knew people that did respect him and I got them to put in a good word for me and I didn't I didn't get them to put in a good word for me through any uh, dubious means the only means that I used were um, showing that I had a, a work ethic and a good reputation there's no there's no there's no substitution for a good reputation and you should guard your reputation with your life especially when it comes to um, your work So you started your career in Hollywood and you did some work in the kind of more conventional tracks. And then now, you know, you left Hollywood, you live in Austin. I don't know how long you'll stay there, but talk to me a little bit about this new moment where it seems like cultural energy is to some degree, um, you know, flocking to these other areas, these other, you know, places of, of interesting creativity and, and what have you. Um, do you think that this is something deep and the beginning of something important? Is this a temporary thing? And ultimately all power is going to be going back to New York and LA. How do you think about the landscape right now for ambitious creators, filmmakers, and so on? Um, this is something that people have been talking about for a few years and everybody's been waiting for this, you know, for, I guess, you know, the quote unquote vibe shift or whatever. I don't know how much of a, the vibe shift has to do with actual culture in terms of people shifting interests as much as it just has to do with money and who's paying for what. And that's what's going to guide culture always. So if you see people talking about a certain thing, you can almost always bet that um, somebody is helping to pay to raise awareness about that certain thing. Um, And of course, there are times when there are movements that are, you know, uh, art scenes that start off organically enough, but, um, you know, whether or not they're able to breach the greater uh, cultural consciousness has to do with people who are in positions of power that can help do that. Right. Do you, but just from your position in all of it, do you do see, I think do you that see Hollywood is going to go away and just become irrelevant? No, I don't think so. Um, I think that Hollywood is irrelevant right now because they're confused. Um, and they're, they're, they are going, they're not on the vanguard of anything. So they're still lagging behind and they think people want one thing, but that's not actually what people want. But, um, I think that there will be variations, tamer variations that will, you know, it that will infiltrate maybe their way into Hollywood and even maybe there are institutions like studios that are even a little bit corruptible at this point, especially if they see companies like, you know, the, the Daily Wire or some of these conservative companies, which are actually able to make a lot of money and make a lot more money than they're making. Um, I don't necessarily think that they're going to want to tap into those conservative audiences. I think they might be fine to just leave that segregated but um, I do think that money matters to them, ultimately. So you might see some of this, you know, new new wave culture stuff make its way over into Hollywood. But by the time that happens, people like who are um, on the forefront of this stuff, they might have already moved on and it might not even be cool anymore. Right. So it's almost like in your view, it sounds like. Hollywood, you would admit, is a bit stuck right now. They're just, they're just, they're just, they're just going to be five steps behind. Right, but you do think that, it, according to, to your view, this weird new stuff that is happening outside of the coastal centers is ultimately going to bubble back into the greater powers of Hollywood, and Hollywood is going to be this uh, stable, sustainable 
epicenter of cultural power. It's just going to be a little behind schedule. Well, I mean, you are you already see it. I mean, you already see like celebrities go on their press junkets and like talk about Red Scare or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, I don't think that that's going to go up to like the top of the the studio heads, and they're going to start being like, you know what? Let's. But I do think that they're not going to leave. They're not going to leave this shit on the shelf. Um, but in order to do that, they're going to have to um, kind of. Uh, navigate simultaneously these landmines of of this other world where everything is racist and everything is taboo and you know everything right. is Trump and uh, I don't I I don't know what's going to happen with that stuff because I always feel personally like it's starting to dissipate mm-hmm. um, and then it and then it becomes refreshed anew why. Because of people in these, you know, who have the money to pay for you to make you afraid of it again and again. And, you know, just in time for an election season, usually. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So how would you advise younger people who want to make, you know, provocative original artwork? You know, let's say whether it's a documentary film or, or, or something else, you know, do you do you think that in the current moment it makes sense to pay your dues in some kind of institutional track? And then break off and be provocative? Or should you start on the margins, be wild and crazy outside of institutions, and then just make something remarkable enough that it earns recognition? Well, I I don't think it necessarily has to be in an institution, but there's definitely no stand-in for experience. Um, I don't think entitlement is uh, ever especially useful. Um, that being said that experience you can give that experience as a gift to yourself you don't need somebody to give you that experience or get permission from anybody you need to just take that step and you need to just do it um and then you will earn that experience and there will be setbacks along the way um but i didn't learn how to make films from anybody and i certainly did have people hire me to help them along the way but Um, it was usually, I was usually relegated to being like, you know, an office girl or, um, something like that. So I was able to sort of glean little tidbits here and there, um, just from being in that world. But when it came time for me to really like create something that I was proud of, I just had to do it myself and I did. Um, and, um, but there were, there were a lot of times when I tried to do stuff myself before, that I never finished or that like fell apart or that I like gave up because it was too hard and um, I could have just given up and moved on and kept on being like a bartender or an, or, an, or a secretary, but I didn't. So um, all those failures actually added up to a lot of experience. Totally. So it sounds like you don't think it matters that much whether you decide to get an entry-level job in Hollywood or you just do some DIY thing. The main thing is to get experience, to do shit, and to learn while doing it. And it doesn't matter so much which track. I think you can get just as many, like the same benefits that you can get from going and working at a Hollywood company, you can get from just like going to parties or something. I mean, I have such a crazy amalgamation of experience from working in big Hollywood companies, not big Hollywood companies, but studios and advertising. And I mean, I tried all of it. I tried everything. But the most useful thing that I ever actually did was go and take a Final Cut Pro course at the Apple store one weekend. And that was (laughs) the best thing that I ever did. And then, you know, I did make a lot of connections through work. The people who are going to help you are not the people who you expect are going to help you. Hmm. Say more about that. And they're not always going to be the people that you like work for. And like, Hmm. because here's the thing, if you're somebody's like assistant or something and you, or if you're like their editor, they're not, they don't want to like raise you up above them. Mm. They need you to do what it is that they need you to do. Mm. So, um, although I did have, um, Adam Lowe, who I talk about a lot, who was a director who actually did help me, um, later on. But, um, I worked for a lot of other guys that didn't do shit for me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, and those guys, it's fine because I still learned a lot just from being in that atmosphere. But I think that I probably 
and I don't believe in regrets, but I think I did probably waste a lot of time working for other people. And I think some people just have a strong work ethic and they have a vision and those people will succeed and other people will want to come with you um, and they will want to help and be a part of that. And if you're just trying to like, you know, wait for a handout from someone, even if it's not a handout because you're working, like it's really hard Mm -hmm. to get ahead. And that model is not really a a smart model to use, especially since we have so much at our fingertips now and the barrier of entry is basically right here. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of people just don't want to put in the hard work and actually do shit. And if you actually do, you'll be surprised how many people come out of the woodwork here and there to help you. But it might not be the people you expect or the people who are supposed to. Well, how many people, how many people, especially for me now, or it, throughout my years, people are always like talking about like their film and like their film that they're going to finish. And like, will you watch my film? And, um, you know, I'm just trying to figure out this one thing for my film. And it's like, well, if your film's not important enough for you to finish it, why is it important for me to watch it? Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's like, I get that people have projects and I certainly do too, that I bailed on or like that I let sit oh I'm gonna get back to that like I'm gonna finish that but the truth is either it's not that interesting to you or you know if it's not interesting to you why should it be interesting to other people yeah um and if you can't if you have to force yourself to do something then maybe you're not aligned with it or maybe you need to delegate to somebody else but um I just think that I can't imagine having like a project where I'm not just working on it every day until it's complete from the idea. But I'm like really obsessive too. Like what, like I'm not like, I don't have like a, a bunch of irons and a bunch of fires. Like I do in a, in a businessy way, especially the more I'm able to succeed with what I'm doing. But creatively, I think of one thing, I get super fixated on it. And then that's all I think about. And it makes me like a really boring person because that's all I want to talk about. That's all I want to think about. And I get really single minded. But you're very focused. And I think you're right that that's an important trait of yours that I think explains why you've been able to do what you've done. Because a lot of people are always working on like five or 10 different things. And it's hard to really push things forward, especially if it's provocative and and is an uphill battle to, you know, get people to, to, to accept it. You kind of have to do it, like put a lot of your eggs in one basket, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there are people who can work that way and that they have a different working style. But for me, like, especially because I'm such a control freak, too. And I mean, I want to I want to be right in the center of everything from beginning to end with with my films. And maybe I will chill out and become a person like a more of a like team player or whatever (laughs) but i just believe that if you want something done right you should do it yourself that that's not to say that like i think going forward in fact i'm gonna get people especially people who are better camera people than me (laughs) you know as much as like my like shitty cam not that i don't have other camera people that work with me but i if you know like the shitty shaky cam that's me and that is like a part of my aesthetic, but <laughs> I think there are certain things that people are better at than I am, and I need to, I need to bring those p- people in and right. give them more in, of an active role. Well, I think those are all really interesting lessons, though. What you were saying about focus, about just getting experience, just doing it, about being confident enough uh, that that you actually draw other people to be interested in you. I think that all makes sense. And the reason I ask, I think, is because I think in our generation, you are a, a really impressive example of, of someone who's been able to push forward provocative work. And I, the reason I find you particularly interesting, Alex, is because documentaries and films more generally are hard to make, right? They require a, a big chunk of money to be able to execute them. And you actually do have to convince at least some people to be on board. Whereas, you know, you know, I'm a writer and people who do other more kind of cheaper forms of work, it's a little bit easier, frankly, to, to be truly independent um, because you don't need a big budget to, to be writing a lot for a year. So yeah, that's why I ask these questions of you. And, I, and that's why I think the audience should, you know, take your, take your insights and take your lessons seriously, because clearly, you know, you're, you're, you're pulling off something that a lot of people aren't able to pull off right now. The biggest thing is just not waiting for people to help you. And I know that sounds really depressing, but like not waiting for permission, 
not waiting for people to help you and not and not being discouraged if people don't get it mm-hmm. um because yeah especially with with tfw like trying to explain that to like normie people in hollywood like they just they thought i just had lost it like they just thought it was such a d- dumb idea they thought i was making it up they thought <laughs> i was like just making up a pretend concept and in some ways i was but because you know it's sort of a i mean it's it's kind of ephemeral kind of a concept so but i just had to just not give a shit about those people right i mean the biggest most important advantage that you can have in this life is just having a, a strong work ethic yeah totally i buy that what is your favorite documentary personally uh well, I mean, there's different kinds of documentaries, sure. but I really, um, Paradise Lost stands out to me as like maybe the one of the most insane pieces of filmmaking. I'm afraid. Ever. I'm afraid to say do I haven't know what seen it, is? it. Give us the TLDR it's, and why do well, you? Why do you I love mean, it? It's so. It's sort of a cliche now because yeah. it's so famous, but it's. I mean, especially now because they rehash it in a lot of like modern pop culture stuff, but it's the movie about the West Memphis three, um, the, the goth kids who were accused of, uh, the, a ritualistic murder of three little boys. So it's dark. Oh, okay. I might in, have seen in that. Arkansas in, um, the early nineties. Right. And it was one of Joel Berlinger's first movies. And Joel Berlinger, of course, is like this monolithic, like, I mean, he's, he's as big and powerful as a Hollywood documentary guy gets, but, um, back then, there was another, and this is embarrassing. There was another. There was another filmmaker, a director. It's co-directed by Joe, by Joe Berlinger, and this other man whose name escapes me right now, but I should know since it's my favorite documentary. Um, who was on the ground in uh, West Memphis, which is which is actually in Arkansas, um, as the murders. Uh, the aftermath of the murders was unfolding and he was able to get into to get to know the parents of both the accused and the victims and it was just during a time when there weren't a lot of cameras around in a place where there weren't a lot of cameras around and everyone was very unguarded and the characters were so strange and like larger than life and the story of how it unfolded was so crazy and then they let them into the and so then they sent out HBO because the guy said, look, I've got this footage and HBO sent out Joel Berlinger and they filmed inside of the courtroom during the proceedings. And it was like this weird circus. And it was sort of clear that like the three teenagers like didn't do it, but they were really sort of on trial for like being goth and like being into like weird shit. And so um, that movie's crazy and it's not just crazy because it's like a true crime doc like i don't look at it so much that way but um so what that's one that i really like but that's that's sort of a that's a dark that's sort of like a dark one um sure what are the qualities though that stand out to you uh, from an artistic perspective or uh from a creative perspective what makes it so good in particular if you had to drill down just that you couldn't make those people up, you know, and it does have that that kind of Errol Morris quality. Like he can get he gets to a certain level with that, with like um, Gates of Heaven. Um, um, you know, it's it's this it's from a lot of my favorite docs are from a time. It's almost really we've had to change how we make documentaries completely hmm. because people didn't used to be so self-aware and when you look at those these old cinema verite style movies and documentaries from the 70s and 80s and in the case of Paradise Lost even in the, the early 90s you know you could still go places in America where people weren't used to being around a camera they were a lot more trusting they were a lot more a lot more likely to let you into their home not that that's something that I already got as close to that as I wanted to do with my first movie. I don't need to be that kind of filmmaker, but I do. I am blown away when I watch movies like that from the past where the subjects are so trusting and they don't even like, you know, American movie or something like you could never find that guy and make that movie now. Yeah, it's fascinating. Because of the the Internet took away everyone's innocence. Mm, But that's fascinating when you think about it, because you would think we all have 
camera phones. Everyone's always taking selfies. You could think that this would make people more comfortable being on camera. But well, they know what everyone yeah. knows what it means now. But in a way, yeah, you're you make a great point. It's, now people everyone's are less innocence has just been completely destroyed. And that's another reason why I wanted to make the Alex Jones movie after making TFWGF because I felt like um it's asking so much of people to come into their lives that way and 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 blow up their lives like that. And if I could work with Alex Jones, I just remember thinking, well, yeah, there's some things that are scary about working with him, but not him being scary. That wasn't one of them. Um, but uh, I don't have to worry about like, pr like protecting him or anything like that because everything is just such a shit show already. Like, what could I possibly bring to the mix? <laughs> you know, I could only come here and do good. Right. Interesting. That's fascinating. And that's what I, you know, that's part of what I was trying to do. I mean, good. And I mean that in a malleable sense um, of like shining a light. It's interesting listening to how you think about the world and the role of, of documentary film. It's almost as if you see a world where innocence has been lost and the documentary form is almost like a redemptive form or something like this. Or am I making too much of it? That's really cool. I like that. I mean, I, I am interested in doing what I can to recapture a sense of like authenticity because I think that people are, I mean, all of the, all of this feels like a cliche. Everything I say now about when I go on this track, which is that, and other, cause you hear other people say it so much now too, which is that people crave authenticity. What is that? It's becoming like this mythological thing. And to me, like what it means, um, and I don't mean like in a folksy way, like, oh, Trump's authentic because he's like an asshole, like <laughs> who like does, he's a straight shooter and he's folksy. I don't mean it like that. I mean, getting as close to conveying what somebody is actually like and what it's actually like to be somewhere instead of the sensationalized version of it which is usually what you want when you are going to watch a movie but now everything is so exaggerated and so crazy that it's almost weirder to watch something that just shows you what, what life is really like how about errol morris overrated or underrated rated just right yeah he's good. awesome uh you know, people get older and they sometimes established directors become, they lose their edge because they're surrounded by people that want to like bask in their glow and they want to tell them they're doing a great job with everything. And so they lose their edge. Like I didn't like his movie about Bannon. I thought that was a missed opportunity, but he's one of the greats. I mean, he's like, and he's like, yeah. He's he's the guy. Was there anything in particular that you learned from him and his work? I learned from him especially with um with the thin blue line that you can make a documentary and you can make it feel like a real movie. Hmm. He was like his his movies are they feel like real movies, not like documentaries. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay, how about Michael Moore, overrated or underrated? Um I think he's a sh like a total <laughs> shitbird, but it, I would be lying if I said that when Bowling for Columbine came out that I didn't like that movie or Fahrenheit 9-11 when I was a kid, especially in the political climate and my mindset back then as just being like a, a regular semi-intelligent, you know, probably like a Bush hating like... I mean, he made sense within his context back then. And Roger and Me was an interesting movie, too. But he's just become another one of these weird, like, bitchy, lesbianic, like, just, like, I'm done with him. And, then you know, it's a little bit like with, with what happened with, like, Stephen King. And it's, like, these low testosterone men. Like, just let's get all these guys some testosterone shots. And maybe we can start getting some work back from them. Although I did... This is a this is a major confessional moment. I just drove across the country and I listened to Stephen King's new book and there was no politics in it at all. And you and enjoyed it? And it was fine, even though he's a little bitch. Wow, okay. Fascinating. So 
Okay. I'm trying to think. Yeah, because I actually watch a lot of documentaries on Netflix but ne- and and on Amazon Prime, but when I think about it, you're right. They they tend to be true crime. It's like true crime is its own beast of a genre, it seems. It's like its own people thing. people love true crime in some kind of unique way or something. It seems like there's like yeah, insatiable I mean, demand. I could say something like really basic. Like I could say like, oh, like, you know, I mean, and, and it's not basic. Like, you know, any filmmaker that's even relatively recent who I think is doing anything interesting is still not even that recent. They're still going to be like, like, I think Gaspar Noy is really interesting. And like, I think the Safties are interesting, but that doesn't like make me interesting because that's what everybody else thinks too, you know? Uh, Werner Herzog, overrated or underrated? Perfectly rated. What did you learn from him, if anything? Um, I learned from him that anything can be interesting if you're interested. <laughs> and you can make a film about anything as long as you are, as long as you want to learn about it. And he also is, um, I learned about self-confidence and vision you can't really get a stronger vision than Werner Herzog and when he tells you that he wants to go and like um make a movie about I mean and of course this is not like the the peak of his work but like his uh his Antarctica movie for instance where he's like goes out to the Antarctica base and makes a movie about that like that sounds like it could be really boring, but I didn't think that that movie was boring. I thought it was awesome. And that was just like him walking around in the, in the snow, like talking about shit. Like it was great. <laughs> nice. Oh, well, I love Robert Altman, but see, so this what did is, you learn from him and tell me about him? Um, ambition. Hmm. I learned about ambition from him. Say more. Uh, he, well, and he is like the ultimate, like, hollywood like guy and he has really ambitious and complicated stories he gets the best of the best he also invented a style of recording audio um where he puts microphones all over the place um and he has these of course like really elaborate sequences that he films and he tunes in and out of the different audio channels so if you see a movie like nashville or something when there's like you know he has these like you know there's hundreds of people in that movie and they're all mic'd, and so he's like a crazy maestro, like tuning in and out of everything. Because um, hmm. he's in the editing room. But if you're there, if you were just to be there naturally, you would just be hearing crowd noise. You wouldn't be hearing anything at all. Hmm. So um, I learned a lot from people who weren't necessarily documentary filmmakers. Well, there is, you know, a documentary aspect to, to even to somebody like Altman because he creates these, these scenes and he chooses what to zero in on and, um, in a, in a, and in a very like lifelike way. And, you know, like Cassavetes says the same as that and, um, little details that are everyday details that people don't usually think about. And his, his films drove you to be more ambitious. Um, well, Altman, I mean, but that's, that's just living in another world. I mm. mean, his level of, I mean, he's just like, he's just one of the greats and he had just every, everything, every tool at his disposal, um, mm. in the whole world. I mean, by the time he gets to like the player, you know, you have every celebrity in Hollywood just walking through making a cameo, like it's no big deal. Mm. He had everything at his, he had every possible resource that has at his fingertips, but to like take Warren Beatty at the height of his career and drop him off and have, do some weird ass art house Western movie with him, you know, um, that's power. I mean, he had actual power. So, uh, and he had, he, he just got to do whatever he wanted to do yeah. and, um, he wouldn't take no for an answer and that's ambition. Hell yeah. I love it. So do you miss Hollywood at all? Do you miss L.A. or no? Well, I was never like in Hollywood, Hollywood. Right. Okay. I mean, I was just an editor. I mean, but you lived there. You were in the mix. Do you miss being there? I miss L.A. before COVID (laughs) for sure. Um, Something happened like people's minds just got totally. And this is no insult to any of my friends that live in L.A. It's a beautiful place. I love California. I feel a, a deep spiritual connection to California, but I don't need to live there, especially 
it's there's a weird puritanical kind of i don't even need to explain it (laughs) everybody who's not like a totally brainwashed like like you know soy zombie knows what i'm talking about and how do you find austin do you have any interesting observations or what you like or dislike about I it? I left Austin. I moved. Oh, is it official? Yeah. Oh, I you like last week? Like you moved all your stuff. I had a great time in Austin. Friendliest people in the world. You packed. You packed a fast. Beautiful place. It's a great place for nature. Uh, I never really got to tap into the hype because I had too much going on, um, domestically and professionally to really take advantage of Austin. So I'm kind of the wrong person to ask sure. about it. Fair enough. I was just curious. Um, if you I had. don't have anything bad to say about it though. <laughs> cool. Um. Cool. But uh yeah, no, I'm uh I'm I'm taking up I'm starting my new business uh in Las Vegas. Oh no shit. Tell me more about that. Well, it's a, it's my production company. It's my official production company. It's called Onset Creative. Cool. And we have a website, onsetcreative.com. So we've been working on that. And um I just want to try and expand the roster a little bit and just keep working with some of the people that I've been working with. And we want to basically do some content and like some of it I'll I'll direct and some of it other people will direct and some of it will be docs and some of it will be narrative. And I think we're just going to, um, we're, we're just going to produce anything that we can that has legs that, is badass totally that's awesome that's news to me that's great congratulations that's exciting thanks i, yeah. I think i'm gonna get t-shirts i'm at the urbic conference and i'm trying to get some some t-shirts going out at the urbic conference nice so i would be remiss to not ask you a bit about the new project the recent the current project the alex jones documentary uh-huh. uh you know i don't want to psychologize alex jones or anything like that but i'm curious just if there was anything you learned in the production of that film about alex jones that surprised you personally you know that's a this is a question that i get a lot okay sorry <laughs> um no no it's okay because the problem is it's it's sort of like the question that you have me for it's like who are your favorite filmmakers or whatever um i try to ask fairly unique, I, I, unique I, questions I, but I don't, <laughs> this is gonna sound weird but um i didn't learn i didn't learn anything about him that necessarily surprised me that much um he's definitely um He's he reads a ton. He's an encyclopedia of weird pop cultural information. Um, he runs in a lot of different circles. I guess he's a little bit more of a renaissance man than people give him credit for. And, you know, a lot of guys that I know that are smart guys, like they have hobbies and stuff like that. And so I shouldn't be surprised. But I guess I thought, well, this man's life is so dominated by just be being him being alex jones being himself like how could there possibly be room for hobbies and things like that and just knowing that he just carves out space to be interested in anything besides like the complete and total urgency of the shit show of his own life is pretty surprising to me fair enough and did the movie come out as you expected or i know you go into it open-minded and and i know you have a a directorial style where you try very hard to not insert yourself not insert your opinion but i guess i'm just you You know are you talking about the reception oh you're talking about the movie itself yeah just in the production of it at all whether it's politically or social socially i could be happier with how the movie came out yeah yeah like in the terms of the product the finished product i i really feel really proud of it um were there any times where you were afraid it wasn't going to like come through? Like I was through? definitely afraid that I wasn't going to do a good job and that I wasn't going to be able to live up to it and that it, it was too that I had bitten off more than I could chew. And in some ways if I had maintained that perspective, I might have proven myself right, but um what I learned is that the movie took on um a life of its own and it sort of illuminated its own path the deeper that I got into editing it to where it didn't like for one thing like people will complain that their favorite like Alex Jones moment or whatever why didn't you talk about this or why didn't you mention this or you know whether it's people that are angry that I didn't cover like something some other harmful thing that he said or or some other outrageous moment or some other like meme type thing um 
I was really worried that I was not going to be able to squeeze all that into the movie. But in the end, the movie sort of took on um, its own personality. And it wasn't really about trying to shoehorn everything about him into it as much as it was about just making the best version of that movie. And it wasn't really about me or him. It, it was about this other thing that was outside of me or, or him. Sure. As, I- a, as a standalone work. Sure. But as you said at the beginning of the interview, I think you said he was like the most one of the most demonized people in the world. Were there any moments along the the process of making this film where uh, it was like vulnerable to maybe being canceled or something like literally not being possible? Or were there any interesting road bumps or stories or anecdotes uh, just in terms of navigating it as as the director? I got freaked out. Shooting around the time after the election, like leading up to J6 and going and it, it felt like I felt like a real sense of danger, maybe for the first time ever. And I don't mean danger from being at the marches or from any of the participants in those events. I didn't feel any danger from them. Everyone was very nice to me. Um, and it was really exciting. But I was afraid of getting caught in like the the eye of Sauron. Uh, and, and I was super aware that what was happening wasn't going to just go away Um, and that it was intensifying and that it was going to get opt. Right. I knew that I could get swept up in in, in an, an op. (laughs) Right. But looking at it, I was like, and I was like, fuck, fuck. Like, I'm like looking around with like, I'm like, I'm like, I don't think this is going to go smoothly as this. I mean, not that anyone cared that it was going smoothly. Like it definitely felt like the, like, where is this leading? Where is this? how can this possibly resolve that's how it felt and and that was a i don't know how that relates to the question that you were just asking me but um i know i'm i'm here i'm alive yeah i think i think i know what you're saying i mean from the outside looking in it's almost to me kind of surprising and interesting how seemingly smoothly it did all come off right i thought there was a hundred million things that could have happened that's what i'm getting at yeah and the least of which is being like <laughs> subpoenaed, right? Mm. Um, which wouldn't be the end of the world, but I think I don't really have anything that interesting for them, um, as it turns out. I... But uh, yeah, um, it, it's amazing how smoothly things did go. And there's still, I guess, time for the other shoe to drop. But what ended up happening after the release is that we had like, we had our premiere with Glenn Greenwald and it was, you know, it was splashy enough. But um, then the trials started and um, the trials um, are difficult to navigate because it really strikes a chord with people emotionally and it's a... And it's a real boner killer for a lot of people. Um, And it's not as simple as, oh, well, it's in the news. And so it's going to, you know, any press is good press. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case here, but I don't feel like any of my films are really something that I'm making so that in the moment that they are released, they are like the biggest thing. And it just, just, I I just want something that is a slow burn that's going to, be really able to carry water over time so um you know the trials um yeah we we i don't think we really factored that in but the film did did it did very well and it it was enough for us to consider it a success and nobody nobody died or was maimed (laughs) or went to jail and um, I, i love what you say about trying to build uh, and create a product that will stand the test of time and and appreciate and value over time not necessarily you know be super splashy in the short term but that's something something that will be appreciated for a long time I, I love that and i think the reason i asked what i was kind of driving at was that i think it's really useful and inspiring for people to think about this um that like before you started making the movie i think a lot of people would have said it's literally impossible to make a nice well-produced you know professional mainstream documentary about Alex Jones in that context. I, I think like before you went and did it and proved that obviously it can be done. I think a lot of people would have said, 
You literally cannot but do that. But he's so famous. You literally, I know, I'm just saying in, in people's psychology, like before yeah. you before you show that it could be done, a oh. lot of people, if you ask them, their honest perspective would be like, you literally could not get away with it. There's no way. And then you went and did it. You proved that you can do it. And so it's just kind of interesting to think about that. I, I think like what I'm getting at is, what is actually possible in the world, what you can get away with creating is always so much greater than what people think is the case. Well, it's again, getting back the, the thing that makes it possible. And it's, and you know, it's like, I'm not do, there's no sleight of hand. Mm -hmm. My people will be like, you're so good at threading the needle. That's like <laughs> the thing I get the most. Like you really threaded the needle. I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just was like, this is what it's actually straight up here it is here's sort of what it felt like you know like what shot can i use that really get, how you know what did it feel like to be there and what really crystallizes his personality how do i really take what somebody's trying to say and put it together in the way that is the most true to what they're trying to convey because you know people and not take them out of context put them in context especially someone like jones who's so prone to you know he's just he, it's like anarchy the way that he talks sometimes and getting really whittling it down to the essence of like what his deal is um that's all i was trying to do um whether you agree with that or not i just want to convey a feeling and the information to you at the same time in mm -hmm. a realistic way that's useful when you're talking about him. So it's not all hyperbolic all the time. I love it. I love it. And I, I think it's a great case study just to show that even if something seems impossible and it seems like there's a hundred ways in which this could get crushed or canceled or what have you, there is actually a way to pull these yeah, things off. I mean, and it kind of did, but at the end of the day, like people are interested in him and even the people that hate him are interested in him. So I, I was aware of that and I knew that that would definitely be a good tailwind for us. Um, and I just thought that it's such a massive, he's such a massive topic that, you know, somebody needed to make a document about him that was, that was actually substantial. Alex Lee Moyer, I'm very proud to call you a friend. I'll put links to uh, everything you talked about in the right. show notes for people to check out. And just thank you so much for coming through. Thank you, Justin. Keep it up. <laughs> you too. That's a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end, so you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you an Apple podcast. Just leave a review. You can be honest. Tell me what you really think. I'd really appreciate it because it'll help other people find the show. And I'm really trying to grow out the podcast. So thanks for listening. And thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate it.